The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Today's topic is entitled The Art of Spiritual Warfare. This is a series that we're going to be doing on equipping people on how to conduct themselves with spiritual warfare. We hope that you enjoy this series. Faithfulness. Not in the battle. Faithfulness in relationship. And if you've got a fight to protect and keep moving on and defending, then you keep doing it until you actually become a country. Remember in the, the last scene when the British guy says, yeah, you're about to you know, have your butt kissed by a king? Well, he wasn't a king. The king was still going to be king. It was an illusion that they set up for him. And Robert the Bruce figured that out. <laughs> I'm not going to be king. This is an illusion. Now we're going to have our own country. And then obviously he got the message of what they're all fighting about from the very beginning and moves forward. And of course, supposedly, that's when they got their victory and have had it to this very day. Kind of fun stuff. Okay, well let's, uh, let's talk about aggressive uh, warfare. Part that might get a little challenging for, for some. Okay, section four, aggressive warfare. Aggressive prayer is a mighty and powerful, is mighty and powerful and God will set you free if you are sincere and have pure intentions. And <clears throat> the key for this one is the sincerity, not really being kind of emotional and, and all worked up about the fact that you want to be set free. Because those are the times when, when you and I kind of set a goal that we're going to lose weight or we set a goal that we're going to, to accomplish something. Setting the goal and, and having this emotional time with God, maybe even weeping with God, and then putting the mark out there, you know, I am going to conquer this. And then, of course, as you realize, you don't or you do and then you fail right after that or or whatever and so you leave it alone and then you try it again a year later a few months later and you keep doing that and that's what develops those spiritual calluses <clears throat> you try and you try try again and nothing comes out of this so the end result is this is what the enemy is hoping for the end result is, well, why should I even pray anymore about it? Why should I even try? And when you adopt that idea, it's spiritual suicide, it's over. Okay, so William's laying there on that uh, torture cross, and this uh, satanic kind of character, the master torturer, leans over and says you can end it all right now 
That's what Satan breathes into the ears of any one of you who have, tempt, who have been tempted with suicide. That is what Satan does when you are under pressure and stress and persecutions and difficulty. He leans over and he goes, you can end it all right now. This all could be over. And of course he's lying. Yeah, because you enter a dimension where you have it for the next so many zillion years where torture doesn't even compare to what he was experiencing there. See what I'm saying? The enemy is a liar and deceiver and, and he wants to get you so filled with hopelessness and despair so that when he says those words to you, you can end it all right here. No more gut-wrenching problems. Yeah, the suicide rate's growing. Yes, it is getting worse every year. No, it's not additional. It's, in, it's into multiplying. It's exponentially growing. It's a big problem. As well as murder and on and on. You know, you hear, you hear the stats. Our world is sick and hurting. Why? Because the enemy keeps working everyone in down to that final moment. This was his moment. Am I going to scream for freedom or am I not? I'm like, what has he got to lose? He just went through how many battles? He's been bladed and scarred up and wounded. I mean, it's like, what did we do this for? That discussion that was going on between him and his best friend was a significant discussion. One's weakening. To the point where the enemy in his relational life was leaning over going, what was it all worth? It can all end now. Go home and sit on the couch. And he's saying, don't you think I want that too? Don't you think I want to go home and sit on the couch with my children and have a family? You see, the illustration that is here is that the enemy when we're just about ready to finish the, 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 the battle victoriously, is going to apply all the more pressure. So here's my point. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Worldly speaking, the closer we get to the final hour, the more demonic forces are going to be shuddering in their place. Screaming and hollering and demanding and trying to scare the daylights out of the world. And in your life, in Christ, take 12 disciples plus Jesus. 12 disciples and at the end of their life was it better or worse. Circumstantially, I should, I should say. You want to finish well? Finish beaten up. That's why I wanted to kind of take this movie and just kind of take a glimpse at this again. And I know it's just, you know, supposedly a historical figure. You know, that 
to help the country find their independence. But there is a spiritual lesson in most things for us. There's certainly one in this one. And that's finishing the race with excellence. Do you know your average man works daily, daily, at having more conveniences? More peace, more security, more happiness, more predictability. Raising your insurance uh, benefits and raising your, your savings and raising your investment mark and raising your, uh, you know, we spend our lives building this security around us so that when our soul knows this stuff is going to happen, we know as Christians this is coming, even to us. And we work at building this, this fortress around us. <clears throat> and all it takes is God hours to have it all crumble. Or a split second by an airplane. You say, no, no, God didn't have control of that. Right. God has control of absolutely everything. Every war, every rumor of war, every, every battle that's ever been fought, God didn't run off and leave the battlefield and say, I'm not watching you guys. I'm not caring for you. He's a sovereign God. But he does let man make his choices and live by those choices. But you know what? I want to finish the race with excellence. I just can't find too many biblical men who really wanted to walk in righteousness finished with a convenient lifestyle. I just can't find them. John, the beloved, he was the only one who didn't die a martyr's death. But I'm sure he got tossed around a bit. He was also known for being camel knees. Because he spent so much time on, in, in prayer on his knees for the saints. And maybe that's why he wasn't tossed around and harassed to the level that the others were. Because he was the one back in the tent praying. i tell you what, John did a lot with this thing in prayer. While the others were having their body parts removed. I don't know about you guys, but I want to finish this race with excellence. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to have to reconcile with our wives and our friends another gazillion times before we die. We're not going to do it perfectly. But we can finish the race with excellence. Unless we decide to step in and aggressively take take charge through Christ Jesus over these areas, we won't finish the race with excellence. It's not a performance thing I'm asking you. It is an honorable thing to finish with honors, to know that you've been beaten up and made choices of sin all along the way but you got back up, you put your gear back on, and you whipped back at it. 
And then when that day comes when, when the Lord takes you home, that the Lord stares into your eyes at the gate, if there's even going to be a gate, and says, good job, my faithful servant. That doesn't mean you were the perfect one, O Stephen. No, it means you fall, you get back up. Who was telling us the story of the guy that fell and got his arm cut and then had to snap his elbows and then cut through his arm? There's a man I'd like to meet. The passion for living outweighed the possibility of death. And that is a spiritual principle. Okay, we're going to have to cut my arm off here. Let's see, is that a Bible verse? If your eye cause... It is a spiritual principle. If you've got to cut your leg off to, to, to move to the next step, let's do it. You see? You see, well, isn't Jesus kind of rude? He doesn't really mean for us to pluck our eyeballs out, does he, if we're lusting? He's teaching us a spiritual principle. He's saying, stand up, warriors. If something's causing you to stumble, take the sword and get rid of it. Let's get it out of here. But you see, if we don't... Uh, <coughs> put that uh, next bullet up there, Rick. If we don't take these, these uh, weapons that God has given us and use them effectively, then we're going to get into this flesh-fighting flesh stuff. And we're going to think that the actual war that's going on is actually between you and your wife or you and your friend or you and your boss or whoever. It's called quarreling. It's called fighting. It's actually one of the deeds of the flesh that the Bible speaks quite aggressively against is what quarreling will do. It's simply bringing death to a relationship. And we know it, and we, and, and we still do it anyway. So our weapons are not of the flesh, but of divinely powerful. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. To activate divine power is to activate, is, is to activate an active prayer life. So, would you say you have an active prayer life? And if you have an active prayer life, I think that you need to ask yourself the question, how much time do I spend praying about my stuff versus the stuff of others? Because if you spend most of your prayer time talking about your family finances, you need a new car, you need to... I mean, you, you can't evaluate how much of your prayer time is filled with you. That should, should be your first clue. And I don't want to poo-poo your prayer time. But... That's not prayer. That's going to God like a slot machine. True prayer is when you have finally denied yourself 
and you've picked up your cross and you're following Jesus and you're in conversation and engagement with Christ as you're walking. That's prayer. The other is confession. But you're kind of making it sound like it's this dynamic prayer life. But it's not. Prayer is Peter and Paul and John and on and all these guys. It's just engaging in conversation of life. But John, I mean, Jesus, what are we going to do about, you know, Mark? He's over, you know, and there's just this, you're working out the daily concerns through that conversation. But can you imagine Peter, one of them, talking while Jesus is giving an answer? Sounds silly, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is giving an answer. And Peter just keeps talking. That's how I hear most people, most Christians pray. I just want to go, shut up. Just stick, stick quiet. See the Lord. He already gave you your answer. Why are you praying about this again? He already, he already told you. But they just, they just gotta keep talking right over Jesus' words. That is not prayer. It's out of control. So God needs to show us, teach us, equip us how to pray, how to engage in intimate conversation. I have hours and hours and hours of recorded dialogue of God sharing beautiful, painful truth with me through the years. These journals are helpful to, to, to go back and see what God has shown you and how kind of childish you were at points and childlike at certain points. And to see what worked and didn't work and what God responded to and what he didn't respond to. So when people come to me and say, I just don't know why God's not answering me on this, I'm like, he has? If you just quit asking the same question and listen, it's either yes, no, or I'll get back to you. He's answered. But most people do not want to accept an answer in prayer from God. So they keep talking over him. So when you're praying with someone and you're sitting there and you're like, you're getting antsy because it, you know, it's going on 20 minutes and they well, haven't quit. That's not prayer. God wants to talk. So saying something a little bit and having just pauses, just just pauses, and then responding. That's prayer. Prayer is an exchange. The other is supplication and. And it yet is, you can tie it into the concept of prayer, but I'm talking about intimate exchange of information. That's where this kind of prayer that we're talking about, that is horribly intimidating to Satan. Because one of his primary goals is he doesn't want you to hear God. 
So to have you spending four hours in prayer and you're da 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 he's not intimidated. Well, at least you're getting all the requests up to God like he couldn't read. Then what's the point? God, I am concerned about Ginger Sue. And my heart is grieving over her. Silence. Oh, Stephen, for this child is mine and I hold her dearly in my arms. Call her tonight. Oh, Lord, but what about Jim? You know, he's struggling with pornography and it's just, you know, grieves me too. To da, da, da. He said, well, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. Duh. That's what I'm talking about. We're, that's where we need to go. That's what this is all about. It's to bring us as men to each other to learn these things to come before God boldly, aggressively, and, and to be equipped so that we can go and do battle with men, for men, for women, for children, for the mere purpose of accomplishing God's mission. He will do absolutely anything he can to divert men from using warfare prayer. It's very active very alive. If the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide the soul from the spirit, joints from the marrow, and judge every thought and intention of the heart. Well, you can be assured I'm going to learn how to use that when I pray. Not da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's a good thing God has patience. And he loves us even when we do our little rote prayers. Because we've got to get our brownie points in. Feel better for the day. Check your devotions. My life is a devotion. It's not an hour of a day. That's where we have to live and breathe. And I want to learn to use the word as I'm praying. Aggressively. Out loud, he hates it. When the lie comes in and you stand up and go, excuse me, the Lord thy God said that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication were to let our requests be made known. Oh, by the way, Lord, thank you for the theft. Could I pray for the thief now? So my wife and I spent some extensive time praying for the thieves last night. Instead of this way all the time, it's this way. This is used to turn us back to what God's design, intent, and purpose. Oh, would God allow something like that just to get a Christian focused on praying for someone? The guy that stole my truck or gal or whoever stole my truck a year and a half ago, I still pray for him. Uh, what better way to stick a prayer partner onto someone who has no idea they're being prayed for and they could be in Mexico or Sweden or who knows where they are now. Oh, God has his reasons.
and they're usually about this kind of stuff. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.